Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Yeah, it's a real privilege to be with you um, this morning. I uh, grew up just down the road from here on Line 1 in uh, Niagara-on-the-Lake, and uh, so this is uh, kind of the neck of the woods where I grew up, so it's really good to be here with you. You know, it's an it's incredible privilege every time I get to speak to the church, uh, wherever that is, and I'll tell you why. I have a deep, deep belief that God wants to manifest his presence in this world. That Jesus, when he says to his disciples, pray that my kingdom would come and my will would be done, that that's an eventuality, that it is going to happen. And the thing is, God has chosen to use people like you and me. He's chosen the church to be his vehicle to manifest his glory, to to reveal his presence, to, to bring freedom to the captives. He does it through us, broken vessels, like us. So even this morning as we were worshiping and and the leaders were leading us and Andrew was speaking, the invitation for us to step up and to walk in our true identity, to know who we are and to, to be part of what God is doing in this world, that is the truth. And sometimes we, we feel like we got to drum up these feelings, but I want to encourage you this morning that God, it's him that wants to work in us and through us for his glory. Do we believe that this morning? It's him that wants to do it. And so my desire this morning is is twofold. One, I want to share a little bit about the work we're doing in Africa. But second of all, I hope through the scriptures and in belief that God would would push us all forward. And it's going to be a passage that many of you have heard before. And the message in some ways is very simple. But I believe that God is always desiring for us to move further down the road closer to him. More effective in his kingdom. More in in touch with with his, his heart and more desiring to see the next steps taken in our world, around us, in our community. Are we together? I'm going to ask for lots of feedback because in Africa, I get a lot of feedback. So if I suddenly say, Tutukumwe, then you have to say, Ego, or yes, okay? We. You can say we because we speak French in, in Burundi as well. Does anybody know where Burundi is besides rich? I'll just say it. Burundi is in kind of the middle of Africa, sort of. We have Congo to the one side. We have um, Rwanda to the north. We have Tanzania to the, to the um, east and, and south of Burundi. It's on uh, the longest and the second deepest lake in the world, Lake Tanganyika. Anybody know that? Um, Burundi has a very similar history to Rwanda. Many of you know what happened in 1994. In the course of about 100 days, Close to or around 800,000 people were killed by their fellow countrymen. It was a genocide. It was terrible. Hutus and Tutsis killing one another. Burundi, very similar history, but it extended over about 13 years. When we first went to Burundi in 2003 with our family, the war was still going on. There were some times when we had to hide in doorways because of the bombs that were going, that were falling around us, close to us. 
But God is on the move in Burundi. We're seeing him work. His church is being raised up. It's probably a place where there's more Christians per capita than here. But it's a tends to be a very shallow church, people who who don't necessarily know their identity, and that's a generalization I'm making. But this is what we're contending for, a church that knows her identity, that is is making the difference, that transformation is coming. It's not going to be through through us, the missionaries, but if we can empower local leaders to walk in their right identity, who will then lead others to do the same thing, we will see transformation happen. So let me tell you a couple of the ways that we're working in Burundi, just so you have an idea and so that you can pray. First of all, we're working with a school. We, we have a local partner there, um, a ministry, a parachurch ministry called Harvest for Christ that began working with the, the third group of Burundi. There's the Hutus and the Tutsis, but then there's this marginalized group that comprise about 1% of the population. They're the pygmy people. They're called the Batwa. Everybody hates them. Everybody thinks they're stupid. Formerly they were hunter-gatherers, but there's almost no indigenous forest left in the country. So they're left to sometimes make pottery, which brings them almost no money. Or maybe they're working on other people's farms. They're very poor. A school was started, and amongst some other things, healthcare and, and housing. And um, the school has had an incredible impact on the community. For one thing, it's drawing the three groups together. Now there's Hutus and Tutsis and Batwa who are eating together, which in African culture is a big deal. There's some intermarriage happening, if you can believe it, between these different groups. And it's all because of the school, because of what the Holy Spirit is doing through this school. My wife and I work with a school. We, we're trying to empower the local initiative, but um, we're d- doing fundraising for one for a high school that's going to also be a trade school. And uh, my wife, Deanna, also is going there regularly, and she's helping develop curriculum. We are both teachers at one point in our lives as well, and, um, and, and helping the teachers to think about education in a different way. So let me give you an example. Deanna said to the, 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 the leaders of the school, I think we really need a library. And the teacher said, and the director of the school said, no way, like that's gonna be such a waste of time and of money and of space. And, um, but Deanna says, no, I think we really need a library. So she introduced a competition because this is an oral tradition, this is an oral culture. They're not used to reading, even the teachers. So Deanna introduces a competition. Okay, whichever teacher reads the most number of books, you will get a prize. So the teachers actually start reading books. And actually, they find that reading is quite interesting. It's quite fun. So these teachers began reading and reading. And then the library was introduced. And they're saying, ah, but the kids are never going to be in there. What? Let me tell you something. Every recess, every break, the library is full of kids reading books. They want to learn. And that's what's happening. So it's not the only thing that's happening in the library, though. The school has a chaplain. His name is Meshach. He has a brother named Shadrach, another one named... (laughs) So Meshach is a young guy. He loves soccer. He's getting in there with the kids. He's got an incredible heart for the kids. So one day they're in the library having a conversation. Right there in the library, tons of kids sitting around. And about 15 kids are asking Meshach some really foundational questions. Meshach, I, I have sin in my life. What do I do with it? And then they turn to Deanna because she was there. Do you have sin? Yeah, of course I have sin. They couldn't believe it. A white person has sin. (laughs) If only they knew the half. And then right there, Meshach says to him, there's a way you can get rid of your sin. 
Jesus is the antidote for sin. You can come to him. He, he saves us from our sins. And right there, 15 kids say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. So in the midst of all these other kids, 15 kids in the middle of the library, give their life to Jesus. Kids getting a great education, changing the way they think, the way that they dream about the future. And kids coming to know their true identity as sons and daughters of the king. This is part of the ministry we get to be a part of. A second thing, we're, we're working with churches. As I said, there's a lot of Christians, but many people don't know what it really means. And Christianity isn't necessarily impacting society. Now, I have to put in a little plug here. Do you know that our society really is based on the Bible? Our political system, our legal system, our, many of our educational institutions, it comes from the Bible, which is so ironic given the fact that it seems like our society is running away from the Bible. But in that culture where there's a greater percentage of people who would say they, they believe in Jesus, there's a, a foundation that is animistic. And so at this point, I would say in general, Christianity is having a hard time impacting society. Truth-telling is, 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 is at a premium, even in the church. There's corruption. People don't trust each other. So we're contending for people who know who they are, for churches that are planting churches, that are making disciples, people who love God and want others to love him more. So we're doing this through preaching, through teaching. We're investing in, in pastors. I'm discipling a, a number of different pastors there. A third thing, we're um, just beginning an initiative with business people. I woke up one morning, I was in BC, and, and I just felt the Lord saying to me, if you're going to have strong churches, you need to not just invest in the pastors, you need to also invest in the business people. The very next morning, Randy Friesen, who you know, comes to me and says, I want to bring a team of business people to Burundi. I'm like, yeah, you do. Yeah. And so with God, this last year we've been meeting, there's about six of us that have been meeting um, as a team to, dis to discuss and to pray about how God might use us, how we might use our resources to impact the business people of Burundi. Because it's a very poor place. In fact, they say it's one of the hungriest nations in the world. And then lastly, um, and there's other things I could tell you, but I just want to focus on these four. We're specifically discipling people um, in a holistic way. To me, I'm so excited that the gospel and that Jesus doesn't just care about my spiritual self, but he cares about my whole self. Can I have an amen to that? Is that not the truth? He cares about me as a whole person. When Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love others as you love yourself, I ask you, how do you love yourself? Do you just care about your spiritual self? No, we care about our whole self. So we're discipling people to think about if the goal is to have a bucket full of water, what are the holes in the bucket and how do we plug those holes so that we can live as full-on sons and daughters of the king? I want to show you a video that uh, highlights the, uh, it's the testimony of one a woman who's been participating in this holistic discipleship. Is that queued up, guys, Brandon? All right, let's go for that. My name is Odette Nahimana. At first, I had no hope at all. 
I was living as an outcast with no worth in the community. When this group started, it was like when Peter and John met the lame man by the gate of the temple. He got someone to hold his hand. So this group also held my hand and I began praying and having hope. I was living a miserable life. I had to beg to eat. Or sometimes, when people felt sorry for me, they would give me food. Before I joined the group, God used MB Mission to distribute food to us during the crisis and giving us charcoal and money for produce. Then after that, that gave me hope that I can live in this world like any other person. Then my worldview began to change. What has helped me so much in this group is the prayer life. We meet every th Tuesday and we pray together. Then after meeting in prayer, we also teach one another about development and how we can thrive in this life. And we even started to grow crops. And they also gave us Irish potatoes seed. We grew those potatoes and we harvested them. After harvesting that crop, we were able to take home more potatoes to plant in our gardens. But the problem was because I'm not from here, I didn't have land and I needed to find someone from Ngozi with that garden to help me. Miraculously, I found one. I planted 49 kilograms of potatoes and harvested 400 kilograms. Right now, as we talk, I have been changed fully and I try to share my hopes with others and I'm seeing the change, even in the way I, I walk and talk. I'm no longer begging. In fact, I'm able to bless others with what I have. So I used the charcoal that was distributed as the capital to start my charcoal business. Now I can provide food and shelter for myself and can even bless others by giving. My hopes now are that I am no longer the way I was. I can now testify about Jesus to others that he really can transform lives and even others in the community are being transformed because of me. I want to make Jesus known and testify to others what he has done for me. And then I also hope that one day I might be delivered from my disability. Now, people who used to see me beg are amazed at how much I've changed. They come to learn from me. I want people to be able to see past my disability and see into my hope and future.
Isn't that a great story? Isn't that what it's about? Having sufficiency, having enough to eat. She used to be a beggar, and now she's helping some of those very same people she used to beg from. Saying, I want to know Jesus more, and I want others to know him more. Wow. This is the gospel. This is what we get to be part of. And brothers and sisters, God is inviting us to be part of his work, to see this happen all over the world. We have, as you know, we don't just have poor people in Africa. We have people all around the world. And poverty looks like a lot of different things. We have a lot of poverty here. You know, when I told uh, some of the people we're discipling in Burundi about the, uh, the high suicide rate among our young people here in, in North America, they could not believe it. And it, like, blew away their, their worldview. Because the mentality is, ah, North America, that's the place to go. Canada, it's the best. We love Canada. If only we can get there. We have a lot of work to do, brothers and sisters. I want to turn to a passage in, in the Word this morning from Matthew chapter 19. We're going to read from, from verse 16 to 22. I think there's a risk this morning with me being the missionary that in talking about this passage, it could seem like I've got this nailed down and this is the way you should do it. But I just want to be very, very clear that this is a word that God's been speaking to me. It's, um, he's been revealing ways that I need to change because that's the way our God is and that's the way life is. There's always further, further up and further in, right? As we read in the last battle of Narnia, God wants to take us further. And so please, as we look at this passage, know this is something that God's been speaking to me and I want to share it with you. Let me read uh, verse 16 to 22. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, let's take a look at this. This young man, he wants eternal life. He wants a good thing. He's, he's thinking about what's coming. That's admirable. And I think there's, I just want to start off by saying, I think there's a danger when we are living in sufficiency, when things are actually quite comfortable, that we can forget about eternity. Because God tells us, and Jesus tells us again and again, have your mind on eternity. Look towards what's coming. Yes, live here, be present, but look to what's coming. And so I want to say right from the beginning, my brothers and sisters, do we have eternity in our mind? Are we asking the question, what does it mean to get to eternity? How do we get there? Now for this man, he's asking, what must I do? So obviously we see it's focused on himself and what he can do. Now he's humble enough to ask, or perhaps he's crazy enough, but it's focused on the doing. Clearly he's a pretty good guy. He says he's kept all these commandments, which seems pretty amazing. But 
what else should I do? Something's missing. He realizes that just keeping the commandments, doing good, living a life of legalism, it's not sufficient. And he says to Jesus, but what thing do I still lack? And I believe this is the opening Jesus was looking for. Aha, okay, he wants something more. This is my chance to speak into his life. This is my chance to get to the heart issues. So let's break this down. First of all, Jesus says to him, if you want eternal life, if you want to be perfect, first of all, sell your possessions. So I want to ask you a question. Does this, is this something that Jesus is saying to every one of us this morning? What do you think? I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to let uh, you chew on that. I could give you an answer, but I think what's really going on here is that God, Jesus, is contending for his heart. For the things that have a hold on his heart. Jesus wants complete and full surrender. Do you want to be perfect? Do you want eternal life? What are the things that are crowding me out? So he says to the young man who is wealthy, go and sell your possessions. Can you do it? And what does he say? We'll find out at the end. But he says he walks away. We'll find out he walks away sad. He can't do it. Jesus is showing that true life comes when we surrender what we have, all that we have, whatever has a hold on us. The second thing, give to the poor. Jesus is telling this man to give to the poor. Now, he said he'd been doing. What must I do to gain eternal life? He's following the commandments. But now Jesus is saying, if you want to be perfect, give to the poor. Now, can you imagine this wealthy man? He's got all that he needs. There's probably, like some of us, maybe there's a smugness we have towards the poor. Well, I worked to get this, and why aren't you? Why aren't you stepping up the plate to do what you can do? Why don't you pull yourself up by the bootstraps? And the other thing about getting into the lives of the poor, you have to get in there. You have to give yourself. You have to develop a relationship if you really want to see change happen. In Africa, I could give money all day long to the poor, but am I really helping them? Well, maybe, but you know the adage, teach a man or give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. If this man is going to really give to the poor in a really heart, caring, deep way, he's going to have to get into their lives. And I believe this is the invitation that Jesus is calling him into. Now, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that ministry to the poor, as spoken to this rich young man, is not an option for us. If we seriously read the Word of God, we will find that this is imperative for us who follow Jesus Christ, that we would care for the poor in whatever way that looks. And I'm not going to define what that looks this morning. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, there's, there's an argument going on in the, the early church about circumcision and really about laws, about legalism. And there are those who are contending for a different way of looking at things, that we no longer have to follow these legalistic rules, but Jesus has come to bring us freedom. And there are others in the church who are saying, well, this is licentiousness. We, we can't do this. But finally they, they give in and they realize, yeah, you're right. But they say there's a couple things, though, even if you don't 
have them, the Gentiles be circumcised, there's some things you need to do. And one of those is to care for the poor. It's fascinating to me. Of all the things they could have said that you must keep doing, they say, keep caring for the poor. Are you with me? We need to pay attention. And then there's Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. What differentiates the sheep and the goats? It's whether they, they cared for the poor, whether they went to visit those who are in prison. And Jesus said, when you did these things, you did it as unto me. In other words, our care and our love for Jesus is revealed in how we care for the poor. So I think we can, we can say then that, and almost extrapolate that our salvation is tied up in, in how we minister to the poor. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we are saved by our works, no. But our salvation is revealed through our works, the way that we minister to those who are the least, those who are downtrodden, those who have no hope. Are we together? It's clear that caring for the poor is not optional. However, the motivation is different. This man was looking at what must I do to gain eternal life. But Jesus is inviting him to care for the poor because of who they are and because of who Jesus is, because of true love for the broken. It's a self-sacrificing that's born out of a surrender to Jesus. The third thing, gain treasure in heaven. Again, the goal is heaven. It's not about ourselves. It's not about what I can gain. What must I do to gain eternal life? But the goal is heaven. Jesus is preparing a place for us. And we're going to go there one day. Are we believing this? Are we walking this every single day? A hope that is beyond this world. And sometimes that can be hard because life can be pretty comfortable here. Pretty satisfying. Are we longing for that? And I want to encourage us this morning. Are we longing for eternity? Are we believing that there's something better that's coming? Are we looking for that? Are we believing that this life here of 80 years or whatever it is, is actually so short in comparison to eternity where we get to live with our creator who loves us, who made us and, and, and knows everything that we need. And fourthly, then come, follow me. The young man's original question is about what he must do. It's focused on him. But Jesus says that he must be the focus. Change your focus, young man. Stop looking at yourself. Look at me. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come with me. And, and Jesus said to the disciples when he was calling them to come and follow him, it was always about getting to work. It was always getting busy. When, when Jesus called Peter, when he revealed himself to Peter with an amazing catch of fish, Peter was humbled before the great God, before Jesus. And he said, Jesus, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. And what did Jesus say? Yes, you are. Go to Bible school. Get your life in order. And then come and see me. No, thank you, Lord. He said, Peter. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It was an invitation directly into ministry. Listen, brothers and sisters, 
in our pursuit of God, in our coming to realize who he is, it's not an option for us whether we're on mission or not. It's, it's a, direct, a direct call, a direct follow through into mission wherever we are. It's not getting ourselves all ready first, but it's, it's following Jesus. And Jesus leads us into mission. He, he leads us into being the people and the life transformers and the society transformers that he wants us to be. Are we together? Let's pause and personalize this for a minute. Jesus said to the young man to be perfect. In answer to his question about how to get eternal life, he needed to sell his possessions, give to the poor, seek treasure in heaven, make a move to follow Jesus. So a couple questions I'm asking myself, and I'm going to ask you the same questions. First of all, what are the possessions or the thoughts or the ways of being that have a hold on us this morning? What are they? There's always ways that we can surrender more to the Father. For this man, it was his, his possessions. It was his wealth. But what is it for the rest of us here? Jesus is contending for us to sacrifice, to surrender to him. This is his goal, that we would surrender more. And that can seem like an incredibly egotistical thing to do, which... God can do because he is all everything. But at the same time, it's for our very own good that he would invite us to surrender all to him. Amen? Jesus, what are the things that we need to surrender to you this day? What are the things you want to lead us into? Would you reveal that to us this morning so that we might be fully immersed in you, that we would be hearing from you, that we would know your heart for myself and for this world. Jesus, what is the, that? What are those things? For some of us, it might be the money. For some of us, it might be our, our career or our education. For some of us, it might be even the, the desire for money. For some of us, it might be the things that have a hold on us. Maybe the things that people have done to us that have sh are shaping us to, 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 to think a certain way about ourselves and about the way this world works and the way that God is that we need to surrender to be set free to walk in the truth because Jesus is communicating something different to us about who we are. Let's be honest with ourselves because it would seem that eternity is at stake. Second question, how is our love quotient? How deeply has, is, has or is love permeating our lives? It would seem as I read through the New Testament and particularly the letters of Paul that love is an imperative. It would seem that in every letter of Paul, he's contending for believers to be growing in love to be loving one another ever more deeply. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And we could go on and on. This is a, an imperative for us. And so when Jesus calls and says to this man um, to care for the poor, he's, he's actually calling him to love, to love those that are hard to love, those that it's gonna be difficult to get into their lives. How are we doing in love? Brothers and sisters, when Jesus says in John 17 that we would know him, that we would be one as he and the Father are one, so that the world will know that Jesus came from the Father and so that 
the world would know God's love. This is not an option for us to be growing in our understanding of love and for one another. We need to commit ourselves, we need to covenant with one another in the body of Christ that we are one. That if one fails, we all fail. Can we agree on that? If one fails, we all fail. If one of us falls into sin, we all fail. We don't just say, oh, what a loser. I knew it was coming. Something was off about that guy. Isn't that what we want to say sometimes? We need to change our understanding, our, our way of thinking about one another. And we need to commit to covenant to one another and to reaching out in love to those around us that are not yet inside. Thirdly, is eternity in our mind's eye? Are we living for the now or are we focused on making this our heaven? Did you hear that? Are we, is our mind, mind's eye on what's coming or is it on making this our heaven right now? And then lastly, is it actually 12 o'clock? Is this when the floor opens up and they fall through? <laughs> Fourthly, I'm gonna hurry up here. Are we making moves to more deeply and fully follow Jesus? What's standing in the way? What's standing in the way? You know, the story of the rich young man is actually a very, very sad story. He recognizes he has a need. He recognizes that something's missing. He wants to discover what it is. But when push comes to shove, when his heart longing is, 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 um, is um, challenged, when his, the, the things that are, have a hold on him are challenged, he leaves. He makes a, an, an, a, a geographical move away from Jesus. And he leaves sad. It's a sad story. Can this a story apply to us today? It's possible that we too, like the rich man, can seek to impress, can seek to impress God with our good works. Isn't that true? We can seek to impress him with our good works. But what Jesus is contending for is our hearts, for a life full of surrender. And then he leads us into the good works. We're never going to impress him. Brothers and sisters, if you're like me and you've grown up in the church, you've got this legalistic thing going on inside of you, as if you can impress God. So here's a little test you can do to see if, if you're right, walking in self-righteousness that I'm seeing in myself. How do I react to other people's sin? How do I react to my own sin? Do I get like, oh, oh, I did it again. Oh, you know better than that. Or do I say, ah, God, I did it again. Please forgive me, and I move on. Are you with me? The invitation is to walk in the truth and not in legalism, but in the truth of who Jesus is and what he says, who he says we are. Let me just ask you one more question here. What's special about this story about Odette? She was at the bottom. She realized she needed Jesus and that nothing else could compare. Nothing is crowding Jesus out for her. No wealth, no reputation, nothing. She's free. She has sufficiency. She knows her creator and her savior. She's unafraid of the future because she knows Jesus has risen from the dead for her 
and she has a hope. Similarly, Paul says, all my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. What? Paul, you're the super apostle. You know Christ. But here Paul's saying, I want to know Christ. What? Are you with me? Brothers and sisters, there's always more for us to know because we serve a God who wants to be known. I was just reading in Jeremiah this morning, and Jeremiah is saying, do not boast. The only thing boast about is knowing and understanding God. God wants to be known. This is the God we serve. It's so different from any other religion, brothers and sisters. We serve the living God who wants to be known. So I'm asking myself a couple questions. Is my ultimate goal, my daily pursuit, to know Christ? Is this what wakes me up in the morning? As I roll over in bed, what's gonna be attacking me? Am I gonna allow those feelings of insufficiency or of the anxieties of the day take me or am I gonna wake up and say, I wanna know Christ today. I am a son of the king and I'm gonna walk with him today. Secondly, am I looking for and expecting the power of the resurrection in my daily life? Are we expecting that? A couple years ago, I, I uh, was in a coffee shop with a friend in Burundi, and all of a sudden the room started spinning. I'm like, this is weird. This is a pretty special coffee I just had. So what do you do in that situation? Well, I jumped on my motorcycle, I drove to a grocery store, and then I drove to another grocery store, and then I went home, and by the time I got into the house, it was all I could do to reach the toilet, and then for the next two hours, literally, in front of the toilet, losing everything, and all that wasn't even there. And then for the next months, this happened in greater frequency. This vertigo, extreme vertigo. So it started in October, and then it came to, um, well, in the midst of that, I felt God asking me a question. What are you going to do? And I was like, yeah, what am I going to do? I travel a lot in Africa. If this happens on an airplane, I will never be able to fly again because it would be a gong show. And I felt through the Holy Spirit the ability to say, God, I'm going to keep going. I want to keep going, no matter what it takes, as long as I can. And so then I went to some meetings in Thailand in the next February, and some people gathered around me to pray. We were praying for probably three hours, and I didn't feel anything different. It was a powerful time. But let me tell you something. From that moment, I have never had another ringing or, or buzzing in my ears, and I've never had another episode by the grace of God. Are we expecting the power of the resurrection in our daily lives? Am I avoiding any kind of suffering in my life? Or is Jesus so big in my mind that I'm ready to do whatever? Listen to our prayers. As I walk around in North America, as I'm in Christian settings, I hear so many of our prayers about safety. Oh God, protect me as I go here. Oh, keep me from, from this. Really? What is the preservation we're wanting? Like to live like till we're 85 instead of 80? 
Or do we want to give our lives fully to what God is calling us to? And to live a full life. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what God wants for us? A life of surrender? Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid of suffering. It is tied to our salvation to participate with Jesus in the suffering he has gone through. I consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever I face trials of many kinds. Right? Consider Jesus, who for the grace set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So I ask, like the rich young man, do we want eternal life? Is any of us asking this morning, what do I still lack? God is calling each and every one of us to a life of surrender and to a life on mission. But it begins and it ends in Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the one that helps us to even surrender ourselves. He is the one we surrender to, and he is the one that leads us into mission. So brothers and sisters, I thank you for listening this morning, but I just want to invite you to consider the rich young man and consider how this story involves and impacts our lives. What does it mean for you and me this day? We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.